Welcome to RAS Talk, a podcast on recirculating aquaculture systems and sustainable food production. Brought to you by RASTEC, the premier publication for RAS professionals. This podcast is sponsored by Innovacy. Innovacy, aquatic solutions built for life. Hello and welcome to another episode of RAS Talk. I'm your host, Marilyn de Guzman. And as always, our co-host, Brian Vinci is here. How are you, Brian? Good. And yourself, Marilyn? I, I'm good. Thanks. I'm happy to see that uh, the world seems to be, at least in the U.S. as well, seems to be getting back to some semblance of normalcy, uh, you know, with the rollout of vaccines. We definitely have an increasing vaccination rate, and it makes me think that the upcoming Aquaculture America Conference in San Antonio, which is scheduled for August 2021, uh, will be held in person. I guess we'll have to see, but it definitely looks like that will be something that will happen. We surely miss the uh, in-person conferences that we've been used to in this industry. So really looking forward to that. And your AIW as well in December. Yeah, we haven't scheduled the date yet or even the place. We are definitely waiting to see how conditions in the U.S. and internationally do. Of course, that conference pulls from a large international audience. So we have to be cognizant of that. And um, there are other conferences that uh, currently have been virtual. I think Aquaculture Europe or the European Aquaculture Society had a virtual conference just in late April. So um, looking forward to that progression from virtual to in-person. Right. And speaking of virtual conferences, we have one that's up, uh, coming up on June 9th, the RAS Investors Forum. Um, really looking forward to that. Hope to uh, see you all there. I saw an initial program for that. Isn't your keynote speaker going to be um, Maggie Freed from Creo? Yes. Yes. Yeah. She will be our keynote speaker. So yeah, we've uh, really looking forward to that one. Um, we have initial conversations with the Danish Export Association mm-hmm. um, to provide sort of a, a concurrent session, same time on June 9th, just uh, have like that Danish technology workshop track. So for people who are attending and might be interested, not so much on the investor side of things, but, you know, looking to see around the developments in technology and land-based agriculture in that part of the world, we'll be making announcements about that soon. So let's get on to our discussion. In this episode, we are going to be speaking to one of the pioneers in land-based aquaculture in Iceland. Arnie Einersen is the Chief Executive Officer at Matorka, a land-based producer of Arctic char and steelhead in Grindavik, Iceland. Welcome to the show, Arnie. Thank you very much, and thank you for for having me. Arnie, uh, this is Brian, and I think our listeners will be really interested to hear the story of Matorka. But before we jump into that, I was hoping you'd give our listeners a background on your own professional career. Uh, Right. Um, Well, I have been in... in, uh... Ever since I, I graduated school, I, I did a master's in, in uh, Japan, and and, uh, and it was uh, one of the reasons why I went to Japan uh, was because I really wanted to get into the international uh, fish business, uh, which is may sound odd to many, but it was it was something that I wanted to do, and and uh, so uh, as soon as I graduated, I started working uh, in Tokyo, uh, selling selling fish, and and. Uh, was uh, first a little bit uh, selling uh, uh, caught uh, wild catch uh, from from the North Atlantic, but very quickly uh, maneuvered over to to uh, 
uh, aquaculture uh, species such as uh, salmon and, and trout, um, both from um, Norway and, and uh, Chile. And I ended up spending uh, a long time in, in Tokyo. I uh, ended up staying there until the, the very unfortunate um, tsunami and, and subsequent um, nuclear accident there. And that's sort of when we, we decided, after, after I had been there almost uh, 14 years, I decided it was time to head back to Iceland and take refuge uh, from, from the radiation and, and came back to Iceland. And, and uh, quickly thereafter, I, I started with uh, Matorka. Yeah, so Matorka was founded then in 2014? Well, Matorka was founded a little bit earlier. It was founded all the way back in uh, 2010, but uh, at that point it was um, it was a very, uh, obviously a young company and, and uh, with very, very low uh, production volumes. And basically all it had was uh, one hatchery and, and a few outside tanks. So it was a very small operation in the beginning, but from the beginning uh, doing Arctic char, so it's uh, Arctic char has been our, our species now for, for over a decade. So how did you go from a few tanks doing Arctic char to a large land-based station doing almost 3,000 tons? Right. Um, so when I came into the picture here, uh, the, the uh, owners, they basically wanted somebody who had been around in the, in the fish business and, and the aquaculture operations for some for some time and with my experience from Tokyo, I, I came on board in order to lead this expansion because the even though this was a very small entity when I joined with only uh, maybe 40 tons of annual production, um, the, they had very large ideas or big ideas with regards to <clears throat> farming. Uh, and uh, in, on land in Iceland and using uh, geothermal uh, power and, and uh, heating to, to actually make it very effective and, and obviously sustainable, etc. So the, there were big ideas on the table when I joined and I basically took over uh, in 2013, I joined. And we've been uh, putting this thing together ever since. When I first met you, I think it was around that time in Iceland, it was through a mutual connection, Ori Vikfusen, and Ori was very uh, upbeat about the possibility of land-based salmon production in Iceland. And I remember I gave a lecture there in downtown Reykjavik, and you were nice enough to take me out on a tour to the small station that you guys had at Matorica. And I have this very distinct memory of very, very large tilapia. And uh, you had told me that you guys were holding a breeding stock of tilapia. Uh, were you really going to farm tilapia in Iceland? <laughs> yes, Brian, you, you, your memory serves you well. Um, it was indeed uh, one of the, the uh, ideas that I inherited here was that um, that uh, we would uh, farm uh, Arctic char in in uh, in the uh, sort of the main tanks, and then like downstream from the from the uh, if you will downstream from the Arctic char uh, in geothermally heated water. The plan was to uh, farm the the tilapia, and this was you know circular economy sort of uh, ideas flowing, and and uh, but. 
it, it uh, quickly became apparent um, to everybody and, and uh, that uh, obviously the tilapia business is <laughs> extremely competitive and the, the species as such is, is somewhat uh, uh, inexpensive. And, and uh, as, as a result, uh, after I, I came on board, we, we uh, unfortunately for the tilapias, we discarded this, uh, this idea. Let's talk about the sort of landscape for aquaculture in Iceland. You're one of the pioneers for land-based aquaculture in that part of the world. Is land-based aquaculture uh, something that's gaining traction in that area? Like what species are produced the most uh, on land versus at sea? Yeah, on land. I mean, it it is, uh, you know, the, the, the main drive in Icelandic aquaculture at the moment is is uh, net pen production in the sea and that is obviously the, the Atlantic salmon that is is driving this this uh, the main part of the expansion but uh, however we are also seeing uh, significant growth every year in uh, land-based production and um, on land the main species is the Arctic char um, today, uh, we, the annual production is, is uh, something like uh, five, 6,000 tons uh, of Arctic char. But then in addition to that, there is uh, also land-based production of Atlantic uh, salmon here, which uh, I believe is about uh, 1,500 tons or so. Above and beyond this, we, we have the, the Atlantic salmon in, in the net pens uh, leading the aquaculture industry in Iceland and this significant growth that the industry is seeing uh, recently. In addition to Arctic char and Atlantic salmon, are there any species that are emerging right there that or you, you see as a company for future growth that you're sort of cultivating in your planning stages that might be an ideal species to farm on land? We have uh, one uh, very, very uh, interesting species that we are working with and we have been working with as a, as a secondary species for us. So that is the, that is the uh, steelhead or the rainbow trout. We have, we, uh, we're doing, um, well, this, ta- this year we'll be doing something like 700 tons of, of, um, of steelhead. Um, and then some of the other aquaculture companies here, I would say uh, one, of the, one of them, uh, Stolt Sea Farm, uh, which is, uh, has been here and I think uh, farming for about, uh, I don't know, five, probably six, seven years by now. Um, they are, uh, their main species is the uh, Senegal uh, flounder. And uh, that is obviously a very high priced item um, in, in the Mediterranean, but they're using the Icelandic geothermal energies to, to grow it on land uh, here in Iceland in seawater. And I just read a, uh, 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 an article on, on that they are they're planning now also to do some experiments with a new species, which is like a, a Kampachi uh, um, species that they will be uh, also doing so so there's there's uh, some some uh, there are new species on the horizon here in Iceland and and uh, this of course all adds to the to the aquaculture uh, landscape which is 
which is uh, pleasant to see because uh, it's obviously, I think variety is, is a good thing to have when it comes to uh, this industry. Arnie, when we talk about growing industry, it makes me think about regulations. You know, in the U.S., we see these large, especially salmon wrasse companies coming in from Norway and other European countries, and they're quickly running into permitting and regulations that are slowing the projects down. So what is the permitting and regulatory landscape like in Iceland for land-based farms in particular? And is, is, that, is that specifically an advantage for, for land-based over, say, the net pens in Iceland? Well, of course, I'm not the expert in, in, uh, in uh, regulation in the U.S. So, so obviously you, you know that uh, better than me, and, and, but I, I can tell you a little bit about the Icelandic realities. And we find them, I must say, a little bit uh, uh, challenging because it is a fact that, that regulation in this industry is constantly increasing and uh, licensing proce processes here in Iceland are, are very uh, cumbersome, uh, expensive and, and uh, take a long time. So for example, um, we have our station in Grindavik, uh, which is operational and, and uh, has been for some time now. And we wanted to basically double our uh, production uh, license and we, we finally succeeded in this and we got, um, got the approval to, to basically keep, uh, to move standing biomass from, from uh, uh, 1500 tons uh, all the way up to uh, 6,000 uh, tons. And, and this particular process, you know, so it wasn't a new site, it wasn't a new, uh, species or, or anything like this. It was just an expansion permit. And it took us, uh, eventually it took us almost four years to have this approved. And, and um, obviously a lot of hours and uh, lots of reports went into this. And then on top of this, of course, also you, they, you have the uh, compliance uh, with regards to the environment and, and uh, these various things that you obviously have to, uh, uh, you have to submit a, a multitude of reports every, uh, every so often uh, in the year. So it is, it is quite a bit and I would say it's, it's generally, uh, maybe not on purpose, but it's, it's uh, I would say it's, uh, at the end of the day, it's, it is, um, on purpose or not, it's engineered so that um, uh, independent entrepreneurs uh, just basically will not succeed in this this uh, field because you just need so much time and money and 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 uh, capital behind you to to actually just comply with all of this. That it is a little bit unfortunate in that respect, but of course, on the other hand, uh, we of course want to see a certain level of regulation and uh, rules with regards to how you can treat uh, mother nature and, and the environment. Yeah, of course, we want to make sure that uh, we prevent any bad actors in, in the industry. Yeah. That, that kind of regulatory environment does sound similar to the U.S., where it can take two to four years on permitting and environmental regulations in order to start your project and it does 
uh, in some ways, you know, hurt the entrepreneur, as you say, the, the standalone entrepreneur from getting started into this because the horsepower needed, as you said, to handle the permitting and the regulations and the legal aspect it is quite a bit. Um, I know that this is also the case in, in uh, some parts of Europe. Um, so yeah, that's something that hopefully as the industry grows and has more of a track record, that we can streamline those kind of environmental regulations. But having seen your project myself in Iceland, I can say that uh, Matorka does a wonderful job uh, maintaining good environmental uh, performance. And I do wanna talk a little bit about how you do that, um, what your station design is there in uh, Grindavik. Um, you have a very unique uh, station design and um, it has RAS technologies but it is essentially a gravity-powered uh, configuration. Can you talk a little bit about the Grindavik station and how you and um, your chief operating officer arrived at the final design? Right. Um, well, we are very, very fortunate to have been working with with uh, Swain Björn Olsson, uh, the, the CEO of the, the company. He is the one that uh, has been in this industry uh, for um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but but a few decades and uh, leave it at that. And he is uh, he is hunkered down by by experience. We say here in Iceland, and um, he is um, so he basically came up with this design after uh, all these years in the industry, uh, both uh, having been in the the net pen industry, um, and, but also. Uh, a lot of experience uh, with farming on land, especially uh, Arctic char and, and uh, salmon in, in the fingerling stages. So he, he designed this station and, and uh, he came up with this concept where, where we would uh, emphasize uh, limiting uh, energy use as much as possible even though we have relatively in, uh, inexpensive and, and environmentally uh, friendly, uh, sustainable energy sources here in Iceland, um, energy cost was, was, you could say, perhaps at the top of the uh, criteria that Swimpen tried to design this station around. And, and uh, so the main thing is we only uh, pump the water once into the station and then after that, the, the water is flowing uh, freely or by gravity through the station. So, so uh, pumping is only done, done once, which limits the, uh, the uh, cost of, of moving water because that's quite uh, expensive. The other core element that uh, he, was, he was focused on was to, to basically reuse the water as, as much as possible but he wanted to stay away from uh, biofilters. So basically what we do in the station is that we have a very effective uh, degassing uh, chambers between the tanks that the water is flowing through. It starts off in a, in a, uh, in a, in a raceway and, and that is, uh, has a dual use that uh, raceway. We, this, this is also where we keep our, our fish for harvest and, and, uh, but the, the uh, raceway is also used for mixing the water that is coming into the station. And then it flows into the production tanks uh, that are circular. 
And uh, each one of those uh, production tanks uh, holds uh, 1,500 cubic uh, meters. And, uh, and we have 12 of those, but in one module, we basically have this one raceway and three production tanks. And, uh, and this is, uh, so, so between the production tanks um, or before every production tanks, there's a degassing uh, chamber that, that uh, rids the, the uh, water of, of uh, carbon dioxide. And then uh, what also as the water goes into the uh, uh, circular production tanks, it is also, uh, we uh, has an oxygen uh, dosing um, a part to it, and also we use a Solvox system from from uh, uh, Linde gas, and they uh, uh, and this system also makes a, a current in the uh, in the tank in order to generate uh, uh, self cleaning of of the tanks, but also gives the the uh, the fish good uh, current to to swim in. This uh, is, is a system, of course, Brian, that you are very familiar with, and you gave us some uh, good advice as we as we were trying to complete it. And, and uh, it was, uh, yeah, it, I think it's it's a it's a very good system in terms of the the design uh, ideas behind it. Is basically to to keep everything as simple as possible. Because uh, as as you know, when you're when you're dealing with a lot of biomass and when you're dealing with uh, large production volumes, a lot of living individuals, things need to be simple, and and that was sort of the uh, the one of the key uh, ideas that we were also also focusing on. Yeah, it's interesting to see all these iteration of um, RAS and land-based production that's happening um, across the world and in Europe as well. It goes to show really that, you know, there's lots of room to grow in this, in this sector. What are some of the advantages that you see um, with your systems over the traditional um, land-based RAS uh, in terms of energy costs and other costs? Right. Well, I think energy savings is one of the key things that we are, we are as I said earlier, focused on. But uh, then, of course, we're also taking, and I think this is this is really important. Also, we're taking advantage of the Icelandic uh, natural resources that we have at our disposal. As you may know, it's uh, Iceland is is a country that where we have a, a lot of rain and, and snow, and and um, we have a lot of precipitation, and and uh, this this all this water gets basically uh, it percolates into the into the uh, lava that we have, the, our country is full of lava now, uh, or has always been, and, and there's one volcano right behind me just going off, and, and which is incidentally only, only uh, 10 miles from our, our farm. Um, but this is uh, something that we obviously take great uh, advantage of. Uh, we use the water at our disposal, and this is of course something you don't have access to when you're in, you know, uh, uh, many, many other parts of the world, but we, we take advantage of, of this uh, uh, water. And then we take advantage of, of the uh, clean and, and sustainable and inexpensive uh, energy that we have. And, and uh, 
I think, of course, one of the things we we also uh, wanted to make sure that we we stayed away from is is the, are these biofilters. I'm obviously not the expert on biofilters, but but we've we've just seen that that they they can be a bit uh, tricky to operate uh, when you when you're doing um, large quantities of of uh, fish. So that was just a uh, just a. Uh, an element of of the the farming process that we wanted to stay away from i have i have high hopes that this will this will um, you know prove to be a successful technology in the grow-out stage uh, in the in the near future but it was it was not something that we felt comfortable with using because we were focused on keeping it simple um, because we're simple people I don't know about that, Ernie, but the design is very robust. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, Sveinbjorn um, has talked about the complexities of the biofiltration. And, and as you mentioned, you know, we can see that other uh, RAS designs can have uh, problems with biofiltration. You know, as a group at the Freshwater Institute who's been doing land-based for a long time, we know that you know, when you go to high rate recirculation that you're taking care of the bio, biofilter just like you're taking care of the fish. You have to make sure it's happy and that it's doing well and that it can take care of the system ammonia and, and the fish will be happy. So you mentioned earlier about your permitting and your expansion. Um, how scalable do you think your design is and, and do you have any plans for uh, future development there at Grindavik? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we have uh, a permit now for for uh, six thousand tons of biomass uh, at at any given time, and this basically because we we have relatively warm water and our farming cycle is is relatively quick, we can basically uh, everything being optimal, we can we can pull th uh, th two batches through the station uh, during that period. So we can actually license-wise uh, go up to ten or twelve thousand tons with with the with the current uh, permitting, and then uh, also in terms of water, uh, we our research shows that that there there are significant volumes of of uh, water uh, under underneath the the uh, station. Um, it's basically. Uh, water that is is slowly uh, flowing underground towards the sea, and before it uh, enters the sea, we're we're right there and and take advantage of it before it mixes into the sea. So it's a uh, so the scalability is definitely there, and and we we uh, we aim to to become a, uh, in this particular location. We we aim towards uh, becoming a ten thousand ton uh, production facility in, in the next few years. It's obviously going to take us some time because we have uh, learned the hard way that, uh, that things in this uh, that takes time. Um, last year, we, we uh, finally produced uh, 1,000 tons, but that is something that we would have liked to see happen uh, probably yeah, th two years earlier. So, so I think we, 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 we have to, we have to, you have to pace yourself in aquaculture. I think, uh, at least uh, it, that's what the experience has uh, shown us. So as you scale up, you know, you're, you're producing in a sustainable manner, but is that something that you're using as your messaging for your consumers in terms of how you're producing the, the fish and the strategy that you do for your marketing? We are obviously very, very proud 
to, to have basically uh, developed uh, from ground up a business model that focuses on, on uh, producing fish in an environmentally uh, sound and, and sustainable way. And, and this is obviously something that we try to, to uh, uh, convey and, and, and tell our customers uh, as, as often that they, they will hear it. And it's, it's, it's obviously a big part of our, our um, marketing uh, efforts. Um, I think uh, at our, at our web website, uh, it can be clearly uh, noted uh, that uh, this is the main message is, is the, first of all, the palatability of the fish, but also uh, a strong second there is, is uh, the way we produce it and how we are focused on delivering a, a uh, very uh, palatable uh, fish for, for uh, disconcerting uh, uh, consumers that that are also of course very keen to see uh, the the product to be free from any sort of uh, uh, chemicals or any any sort of uh, chemicals or or uh, uh, antibiotics uh, or any traces of anything of that nature and and this is something that uh, we are constantly trying to to uh, tell people and so and main thing being that we are trying to take very good care of our consumer as well as as mother nature uh, because we can definitely sense that this is uh, very important to to very uh, large parts of of uh, the the uh, seafood consumer um, market uh, obviously there, there are always some people that uh, think mostly about the price level and and uh, and obviously I think um, money is of course a major issue uh, in in this as as with with uh, any any business, but but uh, there are people out there that that truly care uh, about how the the uh, product is made and what they're actually putting into their bodies. And that is where we feel that we have our message resonates with with uh, the consumer, because uh, it is uh, obviously people are concerned with with uh, uh, yeah just with these various horror stories from from the aquaculture industry, and and uh, so there are many many well paying consumers out there that appreciate. Uh, from what you're seeing across the industry, do you see a trend that's going towards that way where producers are effectively using media to get their messages across, their message of sustainability? No, I, th- I think the message of sustainability and uh, has, of course, become a little bit generic for, for the whole industry. I think uh, every single uh, seafood company in the in the world is, is trying to... Uh, trying to be sustainable and they're tr- definitely trying to tell people that they are sustainable um, but of course I think with with uh, so many seafood companies out there that have been uh, doing things for a long time and and uh, have have a significant experience they may also be maybe somewhat engineered originally towards uh, unsustainable practices but that doesn't stop them from uh, trying to appear sustainable. 
And, and I think uh, this is where Matorka uh, is, is lucky to have started with a clean slate. And like I said earlier, we, we engineered our production systems in line with these demands of the consumer to be completely sustainable. And we engineered from the ground up like that. And I think that is of course a big difference from a lot of these other traditional producers that are stuck with maybe production models from, from 20 or 40 years ago. And they're trying to make the switch um, and that uh, may or may not be uh, quite difficult. I may not be a marketing expert as, as much as you are in a biofilter expert, <laughs> but, but I always thought um, as an American traveling to Iceland and a consumer here in the US that if you just marketed your product as Icelandic farmed or Icelandic char, that you would have a unique um, market approach and selling. And I know that my first trip there to Reykjavik, getting off the airplane, there were these nice billboards in the airport that said Icelandic Arctic char. And it sounded so beautiful. And it just painted this great story of pure fish from icy waters uh, or very cold waters of Iceland. So I, I always thought that was a, a built-in marketing advantage for a company like Matorka. Um, but uh, just talking about the, the world landscape here and, and your place in it, um, you guys are getting close to your 3,000 ton benchmark and then potentially expanding to 6,000 or, or 10,000 tons over the next few years. But there are these large projects that are planned, the mega RAS, like Atlantic Sapphire and Nordic Aqua and, and others. What is your opinion as, as someone who's actually farming at scale? Um, do you see the future of, of land-based recirculation um, in the mega uh, scale or more along the one to 10,000? ton scale. I think our listeners would be really interested to hear uh, your thoughts on that. Um, well, I, from my personal experience is that, of course, I can, I can see the amazing um, interest in these mega projects because of, they are, of course, just like putting a, a person on Mars, they are extremely fascinating and, and, uh, and uh, the the work that that Atlantic Sapphire is is obviously amazing, and it's 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 truly breathtaking to to see these uh, projects uh, uh, taking off and becoming a reality. Um, I of course, in in but having having just launched our own project and and, and building this up, I think of course when it comes to these various things that you do, that you have to have uh, prepared in terms of uh, manpower and know-how, and all these processes and and these various issues about farming that uh, have to be uh, exact. And you could also say that the aquaculture it, it's not very forgiving when it comes to uh, mistakes or delays or. Uh, problems. It, it can be quite, quite uh, a ruthless uh, environment to be in. So I think uh, these mega projects are, uh, like I said, amazing and 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 really, you'd say, enviable to 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 look at. But I think also, of course, it's 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 uh, yeah, very challenging to make them this big from the get go. Some people might 
say the exact opposite, that it's not <laughs> no more difficult to do something, uh, you know, 100 times the size. But but I think, yeah, I think at least um, what we've seen is, is in our field is that uh, with this, uh, these, uh, you need to take maybe one step at a time. And, and uh, that is at least what, what we're doing. Yeah. That, and that does make a whole lot of sense. And I'm not sure where this will all shake out at what scale is, is most economical or, or most efficient or successful. And my perspective is, it's probably going to take a whole range of scales. There, there will be a mega RAS and then there will also be uh, many producers, which, you know, are something less than that. And, and then on a local scale, there may be, you know, uh, farms that are of less than a thousand tons servicing a market locally and, and using that as their marketing approach. And uh, probably take a all on deck approach to building this industry out um, for truly sustainable seafood. I really appreciate this discussion today. And, and I think uh, our, our old friend, uh, Ori Vigfusen, um, uh, would be very proud to see what you've built that er, there at Matorka. Ori was a tremendous environmentalist and a giant in the field of uh, Atlantic salmon in the North Atlantic. Yeah. And, I, and I know as a proponent of, of land-based fish farming uh, in a sustainable way that protects the environment. And, and I kind of feel like you guys are really uh, bearing that out. And just a reminder to our listeners, if you want to learn more about Matorka and their, their story and what they're doing, we have our the cover story of our spring 2021 issue of Rastic Magazine. We have Matorka. Uh, thanks for participating in that story, Arnie. Go check it out, the uh, spring 2021 issue of uh, Rastec Magazine. Thanks again, Arnie, for joining yeah. us today. Thank, yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Well, that concludes our episode. Join us again next time for another episode of Rastoc. Thank you and stay safe. This Rastoc episode is sponsored by Innovacy. Innovacy, aquatic solutions built for life. For the latest RAS-related news, visit rastecmagazine.com. Join us again next time for another engaging conversation on Rastock. Talk.